What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me on the latest Mortcast, part of the CSG Network. I am, of course, your host, Jeff Morton. Uh, before I get started, I want to talk to you about Blanchard Family Wines, located between 18th and 19th in Blake and Wanzee, in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. Um, look, right now, none of us are going anywhere, uh, hopefully. Um, but sometimes if you can get out and do it in a responsible and socially distanced way, and obviously with last call at 10 p.m., uh, go to Blanchard Family Wines because they do an inv invite only um, situation where you can uh, just like sit at socially distanced tables outside in the middle of the dairy block, which is great. Uh, and it's a limited number of people. You're away from people, but you can enjoy some great wine. They got Pinot, they got uh, Cabernet, they got you know, Rieslings with a, uh, a partnership with, from a, uh, several Western Slope uh, wineries. One of my favorite places to go in Denver. Either that or you can schedule a virtual wine tasting, uh, which is also really good and very, very popular. Uh, just if you enjoy wine like me, go to Blanchard Family Wines. They are at bfw.com. They are on Facebook and Instagram under Blanchard Family Wines. Once again, they are located between 18th and 19th in Blake and Wazee in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado. Just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. When you go in, tell them Jeff Morton from CSG Podcast sent you there. Additionally, I would like to talk to you about my friends from uh, Exto Event Center. Uh, please support our friends at Exto Event Center, located in Denver's vibrant Rhino Art District. Uh, Exto Event Center can host safe and socially distanced events for 25 to 175 persons out outdoors and up to 100 persons indoors. If you are interested in hosting an event for a corporate gathering, fundraiser, client appreciation, birthday or anniversary party, or morale boost boosting happy hour, which let's face it, we all want uh, something to boost our morale, Exto would love the opportunity to be part of it. Please visit ExtoEvents.com for more information and book your private event today. Uh, today on the podcast, and thank you once again for joining me, I've got a uh, special guest. Um, there's been some events kind of uh, swirling around our friends in northern Colorado, uh, in, in Fort Collins, and uh, I, who better to uh, kind of talk about what we really need to talk about than uh, my friend, former colleague, and current writer at uh, thednvr.com. It is my friend, Justin Michael. Hello, Justin. What's up, Jeff? It's it's fun to finally be a guest on this podcast. I mean, I know you know I've been threatening this for a very very long time, and I and it took a pandemic. So I I, <laughs> I think you should feel happy for this opportunity. <laughs> That's just how it is sometimes. The a lot of weird stuffs happened in this pandemic, but every now and then there's something good, and this will hopefully be you know somewhat good, even though we got to talk about. A lot of not so good stuff. Well, yeah, and, and we'll get to that in a second. Uh, first of all, uh, you, how long have you been with DNVR right now? Just over a year, I guess, at this point now. I started in early July of 2019, and yeah. the last year's gone by pretty fast. But like you said, you know, before that, I was with Mile High Sports for about two years, mm -hmm. and, and I was that was a lot of fun. You know, I, I made a lot of friends over there. Yeah. Uh, we, we worked, well, I say worked together by the time you were, uh, involved with my life sports, I think I had fully, fully checked out and I wasn't really writing anymore, but I, um, but we were colleagues and it's nice to see you doing so well, uh, with DNVR and I, I, I love watching your success. Um, I first became aware of Justin when he was doing a podcast with my very, very good friend, Ryan Green, uh, 
and what was it called? The State of Colorado is what was it called? The State of the Centennial. State, state of the Centennial. That's right. And uh, I listened to that. As, as everyone knows, obviously, I've run a podcast for uh, just under 10,000 years now. And uh, I love listening to them. And that was one of my favorite podcasts to listen to. And uh, Justin was a huge, huge part of that. And, you know, look, uh, it's, it's been, it's been, I mean, it's been since he was really young and I was less old. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's how we're going to praise this. And, but uh, if the people didn't know about Justin, he attended Colorado State University. Um, did you write for the Collegian up there? Yeah, I, that's kind of like where I got my first, you know, start. I did some blogging and stuff before that, mm-hmm. but the Collegian's kind of where I got my first real experience with journalism. Eventually, I worked my way up to the sports director, which is just the editor of the sports department. Mm-hmm. I was on the ed board. That was kind of interesting, and, but the, the Collegian was, it was amazing. It was a lot of fun, and honestly, like, some of the probably some of the most fun I've had in journalism. I, I miss those like late nights with all my colleagues and stuff. It's it's a different experience now that I'm I'm not solo because I'm a part of DNVR, but being the only guy on the CSUB, it's just a much different experience. Mm-hmm. Are you still up in Boca? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it up here. It's uh, see now the, for people who don't know, and then we're gonna get deep into the weeds with Colorado uh, State University, but. Uh, I I am CU through and through. I was literally born at Folsom Field. Okay, that is that is that is who I. That it's in my my mom attended uh, Colorado uh, Colorado, and I have feel that like through me. Black and gold is part of my DNA. But I am I've never had anything against Colorado State. In fact, uh, I actively cheered for them in uh was it 1991 i think when they won their bowl game against oregon and the former colorado resident bill musgrave <laughs> i think that was 1990 90? but yeah. yeah yeah 90 yeah and i remember cheering for him then and every time they're not playing csu i always cheer from nothing against them uh some of the younger people in this uh who are listening to this probably have a different take uh but it's just as an old time cu fan I've never been able to muster up any sort of actual resentment towards Colorado State because it was they were always the second Colorado team that I would cheer for. So in that sense, in that vein, we're going to talk about the, let's just say issues that have been going on at uh, CSU. And Justin, if you could, and through your, your great writing, uh, and I've read it on, once again, go to the dnvr.com to read Justin's writing. Uh, they have subscriptions. Give me an idea of how this has been unfolding, because it seems to go all the way back to when uh, former uh, coach Larry Eustachy was here what, two years ago, the, the basketball program. Has this just been kind of uh, what has been happening recently? And maybe you can describe, because I kind of skipped over it, uh, what's been going on, but kind of describe just kind of maybe going back like a Michener novel uh, and describing to me how this kind of evolution of from even back when you stayed, by, by the way, Justin uh, was a big part and broke a lot of news when the Eustachy stuff went down. So you got to give him all the props for that when he was at the Collegian. So give me an idea of how this started and, and how this will, this kind of, we got to hear from there. 
Yeah. So with the Stacy stuff was obviously a big national story and that was kind of the, the first major instance where CSU was kind of in the spotlight for, you know, the wrong reasons. And actually, you know, 2018 is when he got, you know, ultimately let go, but that wasn't even the first time he was technically investigated. They investigated him, you know, way back in like 2015, 2016. Mm-hmm. The old athletic director, Jack Graham, actually wanted him fired, but they had already extended him at that point. It was a, it was a whole mess. And, you know, the, what's happened really recently is there have been just all sorts of allegations regarding the football program, both the new staff and the old staff. With the old staff, it was some stuff regarding, you know, racial insensitivity, verbal abuse, really, you know, a lot of the same stuff that you, Stacey, got in trouble for. And the new staff, it was a little bit of of racial insensitivity stuff as well, but also some pretty serious accusations regarding their COVID-19 protocols. Uh, Allegedly, some assistant coaches threatened players, you know, if they came forward, they didn't, they were threatening playing time, essentially, you know, telling people not to report symptoms. This is all alleged, you know, I'm not, Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know if this actually happened or not. It's being investigated right now by Hush Blackwell, a law firm based out of Kansas City, the same law firm that investigated at the University of Iowa. So, you know, a pretty pretty serious deal going on at CSU. But really, when you look at it as a whole, it all stems to down to, you know, the, the athletic department not necessarily always, you know, looking out for the best interests of the student athletes and kind of looking out more for, you know, their vested interest and, and their financial gains. Um, a lot of the the stuff that came out about racial insensitivity and the COVID, specifically the COVID violations, was disputed, uh, from what I understand reading uh, Twitter, it was disputed by a lot of different players. Um, do you think that a lot of, especially in the reporting that's coming out, do you think that the players' uh, conflicting views, because it seems to be definitely not a un- unanimity of response here, um, do you think that the players' responses have been all taken into account uh, when people have been reporting on what's been going on at CSU? You know, I think so. I, I have a lot of respect for the guys over at the Colorado and mm-hmm. they, they took some heat from CSU fans. And that always happens in these types of situations. I remember, you know, it's a lot of parallels with the Stacy stuff. A lot of the things mm-hmm. that people are accusing the Colorado and stuff of, you know, people did the same thing to me, you know, they're, they're quoting anonymous people, you know, they're, they're not putting their name behind it and stuff. And it gets really complicated in those situations. But to those people, you know, I just say like, it's, it's pretty tough to come forward in these situations, especially when the people you're coming forward have all the power. Yeah. And so that's, you know, really the, the reason why we have to have anonymous sources in those situations. Um, it's just been, it's just been disappointing, you know, from the, from the fans perspective of a lot of scandals. And I've just tried to urge everybody to, you know, not necessarily form concrete opinions right away. There've been, because there've been so much information, so many conflicting sides. It's been one of those situations where, well, we're going to have to try and gather as much info as we can and then, you know, come to a rational opinion, but it's complicated, especially with the relationships with, with coaches you know, people are complex. The The way people view these people of power are complex. It's just a messy situation. I'm sorry. I, I rambled a ton there, but it, it's no, you didn't. kind of a, no, no. a really Any, weird. Anyone, weird who's list, anyone who's listened to this podcast knows I ramble. 
That is like the, the thing that happens. So ramble all you want, man. I don't care. And, and that was concise. Um, I, I think that in the grand scheme of things, reading up on what has been happening, not, not necessarily, I guess, the, um, the actual exact circumstances, but the reaction and the reporting really reminds me of CU about 2003. Uh, the Katie Nida stuff came out and the, uh, the parties, uh, the strippers at parties for recruits. It all came out around the same time, and a lot of media was receiving kind of like this, what you were receiving, the similar backlash um, from fans, and and Twitter wasn't around then, Uh, so they would all flock to sports talk radio, uh, online blogs, and stuff like that. It it really was localized to that, Um, and a lot of the reporting was accurate. Some of it was inaccurate. Um, but a lot of this reminds me of the same thing. And there was just kind of this tornado of story that kind of consumed the program and really gave us what we got in 2005 with CU. Are you feeling the same thing with CSU? Are you feeling that this is kind of something that is pushing towards a direction uh, that maybe CSU fans don't really want to acknowledge, I guess, at this point? I think that's, you know, fair to say to an extent. I think anytime that you have something that comes out that's a, a black stain, you know, on the program, a, a bad look, it's it's always going to be hard because, you know, unlike the pro teams, your allegiance with college sports so much of the time has to do with, you know, your time spent at that university and nostalgia and all this emotion gets wrapped up in it. And so, when, when somebody, you know, comes out with allegations against your team, it's almost like they're coming out with allegations against you and your community and, you know, what you stand for and all this pride. And that's why it just, it's really hard. And I get that because I love college sports and I love that people are that invested in it, but it also makes it really hard to look at these situations with, you know, a rational frame of mind sometimes. And I just think we really, really get like, just try so hard to push that emotion away and look at it and be like, is this the right thing? Is this, you know, what we want our university to stand for? Is this how we want our athletic department to, you know, be viewed across the country? And it gets complicated. It, it really does. Well, I, I kind of want to uh, get into a little bit of the weeds. Um, do you feel based on your reporting that there is more out there? Is there, is there a thing, maybe without revealing obviously what you know, but do you and, and do you have in a sense that due to the circumstances of this, the way this came out, that there's more uh, kind of of these kind of allegations that are out there, or do you feel that it kind of ends with what we have seen so far? I think most of the allegations have kind of come out at this point. Mm-hmm. I, I've on my podcast, I've said that at this point, I don't really expect any major changes to come from a coaching standpoint. Yeah. A lot of that is going to come down to what comes out of this COVID-19 investigation. And, you know, like I've said, there's a lot of conflicting info on that. The coaches adamantly deny it. A bunch of players shared messages denying it. That's all a good sign and stuff. Um, but, you know, with a football team, it gets kind of weird because the experiences of 40, 50 players might not necessarily be the experience of 20, 25 other guys. And at that point, 
you really got to value everybody's input and it, that's what's going to make this investigation so weird mm-hmm. um i've with some of the stuff that's come out regarding racial insensitivity you really got to be careful um because the practices are closed you know i i haven't heard anything and and i've had a lot of parents of players even some players come forward and basically be like you know these allegations are total bs but the uh, the silence of certain prominent players from the team kind of speaks volumes to me mm. and and i've heard some things with potentially some you know kind of high profile players that necessarily don't feel the same yeah and i don't want to speak for them but it's just it's just so weird right now because you just you don't want to you don't want to ignore either side because everybody's input matters in that locker yeah. room yeah. and especially with something like you know racial comments and something like that it's just like i don't want to be like oh everybody that everybody's telling me they're great guys i haven't heard it and then it turns out you know all this stuff happens so i i just i kind of got to be careful with what i can say right now okay and i and i obviously i would not want you to be able uh, to violate any confidence this is a good time here so uh but i think just drawing from the past um my own experience in this something like this was uh, dealing with the Ty Lawson situation uh, when he was having um, a lot of trouble, right? And there's a lot of what you can say, and this is circa 2000. I mean, it went on for a couple of years, Ty, um, but this what evolved over a couple of years uh, and his issues did. And now I could probably tell, say, a lot more about it than I could, you know, eight, nine, 10 years ago. Um, but you can't like really get into everything because you got to respect your sourcing and you've got to respect the people who are, are, are part of this news. And it's hard to walk a fine. And it is a hard thing to walk a fine line between breaking news and respecting sourcing and respecting the process so to speak, of getting news. And do you find it hard, but specifically with Twitter, to have that, that process not be short-circuited by the immediacy of now? Definitely. And I, that's something that I, you know, if you're just getting into this business, that's something that I always encourage you to really think about, you know, is a couple retweets and, you know, 100 favorites or whatever, is it really worth you know, burning a source or, or ruining that line of information? Because the thing about Twitter is you get the instant gratification, but it's, it's temporary, you know, it fades away. It's mm-hmm. people, you're only relevant for that, you know, the couple hours your tweets big or whatever. And in the long term, a lot of the times it's just better to sit on stuff. And yeah. one of the things that I always tell people, you know, that come forward to me is I just want the information. I'm not necessarily going to always, you know, put it out there because the last thing I want to do is put people in crosshairs or, you know, put them in a bad situation. And especially with something like this, where it's so sensitive, it's just really like walking a tightrope act. Oh, it is. And I, and, and what I respect about your writing and, and you're a far, far better writer than I ever was. Let me just throw that out there. Oh my God. You are so much better than I, I was. I was a good storyteller. I was a terrible writer. And that's, uh, that's, that's something I will freely admit because of how I came into the job. But I respect people who can actually write. And you uh, are very good at that. And I've really been interested in seeing how this story has evolved specifically from your perspective. And I think your perspective is, about, uh, is valuable because you are 
really big with the, what was happening with the Eustachy thing and how that kind of, and I, I, I'm coming back to it, how that kind of mirrors what is happening now, not in the abuse sense that the Eustachy thing was, but the, the circumstances are uh, to me kind of eerily similar. I guess in a way without like you going to on too far of a limb, do you, what is that reflectant of that something can circle back and have be a, like a similar problem that you had a couple of years ago? What, what would lead to that circumstance of history, not necessarily repeating of itself, but being similar? One of the, one of the quotes that really stood out to me in the initial Colorado article was, you know, there's been a, a repeated history here when it comes to the athletic department and the administration. And, you know, these situations are, are very similar. They're very different in a lot of ways. But when stuff like this keeps happening, I think it's important you, you take a look at it and you go, well, what's the common factor here? And quite honestly, you know, there's, there's not a lot of common factors because it's a different school president. So you can kind of take that away. So then you kind of go down and you look at, the athletic director and some of the people that are working under him and kind of, you know, you just kind of have to take a look and say, is this the problem or, you know, is it even higher than that? Is it a systematic issue that, you know, with CSU as a whole, because let's as, as great and welcoming as CSU is, there've been, you know, some incidents with racial insensitivity and, very outspoken type people that are very angry and, and hateful to be honest and people that kind of disappoint me that they're a part of this community but it's it's just really a lot of layers to this there is and what i appreciate in, in your reporting is that you've done it objectively and for anyone who is out there who's giving you abuse like I, I read something about practices and you guys revealing what was happening at practice which was something that was so nonsensical, it, it, it bordered on hilarity. And I hate, I, I read, reading that stuff, I'm like, what, how, how do people come up with something that where the media members are actively out there trying to mess up what's happening <laughs> with the team? I just don't know how one comes to that, that conclusion. You have to have something to report. You, can, you can't make this shit up out of like a whole cloth. Yeah, I think those people, I mean, some people just don't trust the media period. And, you know, to those people, I'm I'm not really trying to change their mind or anything, because yeah. quite honestly, I just don't care about their opinion. But yeah. my whole point was just that, you know, when you have closed practices, it makes it a lot easier to hide this stuff, one. But also, that's what leads to a lot of the hearsay type stuff in reporting, because all you can rely on is what people are telling you. Versus, you know, if you're actually there, eyewitness seeing the type of behavior that's happening every day, you're mm -hmm. going to be able to come up with your, you know, a well-informed opinion. Your questions are going to be better every day regarding practice. I just, yeah. I don't think there are a lot of downsides. I understand that there are situations where the media is not going to be there. You know, they're not going to be there for every little meeting, every little interaction. And yeah. if you can't trust your coaches to be with your players all the time, then they probably shouldn't be employed anyways. It's true. But I just, true. I don't see how D1 schools, publicly funded institutions can get away with essentially just, you know, keeping the media out all the time other than 10 minutes during stretches. 
it's it's an interesting you know you reminded me of an incident um where Pratt, CU has a, they used to do interview with people right outside that black gate uh, in front of their uh, practice. And they never let anyone in, even back then to the early 2000s. I remember Gary Barnett, who I think in subsequent years, I think he, he, uh, he, he stepped in it on himself, but there were some really kind of things beyond his control that happened to him that were kind of unfair. And one place where he did step in it was when he said about Katie Nida, not only was she a girl, but she was terrible. And I was watching that with my dad and I looked at him and I went, did he, did, did he actually say that? There was a relentless reporting about it afterwards and people were blaming media members for reporting on something that Barnett had said in public. And it, it, the mind of the fan, I guess, and in general, is not rational. It's like if I asked Justin Michael circa, you know, teenage years about the Denver Broncos, I bet your, your, your point of view would not be, uh, let's just get the facts first. <laughs> Definitely. My, my opinion on just about everything in my teenage years was pretty much garbage, but <laughs> I saw, oh man, I had a I had a tweet out there that was criticizing the Rockies and basically just being like, "Why aren't you more like Elway?" And I was just like, "Oh my God, I am a Denver t- sports talk radio host at 16 years old." But we we mature, we we develop, we we develop the appreciation for the finer things. Uh, it is it is, and it, when you and I were conversing before this. And thank you, Justin, for coming out with me. Um, we were talking uh, when I was trying to, when I was going to bring you on, and I was talking about, well, we have a lot to talk about. And, and, and another part of that is uh, the uh, Mountain West. I was about to call it the WAC. Oh, my God. It has not been the WAC for years. <laughs> Throwback. <laughs> wow. Anyway, more evidence that I'm old. Um, CSU fans probably wish it was the whack. They were a lot better during those days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they were in Wyoming. Um, I, the Mountain West has decided to. It, was it? It's the official thing. Is it postponed or canceled? What did they do? Technically, it's postponed because they are going to explore the option of playing in the spring. Nobody actually knows what that means. You know, that quite honestly, that could just be thrown in there to like let so the fans didn't freak out quite so much you know just being like hey we'll explore it we'll look at it but mm-hmm. you know quite honestly that's if they're going to play in the spring a lot of things are going to have to go right that i don't really foresee going right at this point with the way our country is currently functioning but yes, yes. nobody wants college football more than me so if you can explore it do whatever we got to do get some football in well i here's and, and this is something that i maybe that you can help me help illuminate to me because I think this is actually important. Um, my, I've said on my radio program a couple times that my complaint is not with college football doing what they're doing now, the conferences specifically. And I think today big 10 announced that they are going to suspend their season too. So obviously it's not just the conferences uh, like mountain West. Now some of the big five are doing it. What, 
what I don't understand is why they didn't have a clear plan to begin with. And obviously to me, they're, they're suspending these, these games for liability purposes uh, first and foremost. Um, but why they couldn't have had a clear plan from the beginning when, especially a month ago when we saw things were trending in a bad direction again, um, and then having the logic that they will be okay in the student population if there's in-person learning, that stuff doesn't like compute with me. And I'm wondering if you could make a better sense of that than I can, because it just doesn't seem like, like, I guess I'm looking too far into reasoning maybe, but it just doesn't make sense to me. I wish I had a better explanation. I think there was a sense of ignorance and arrogance with football in general. I think, mm -hmm. honestly, you could place some of those same criticisms on the NFL. Yeah, definitely. The minute, the minute March Madness was canceled, they should have been getting together and being like, all right, what are we going to do if, you know, this is still a crap storm come football season? But essentially, it seems like their entire plan was, well, let's just see if things get better because, you know, we always play football and so we'll play football. And, you know, up until like June, July, it just, it doesn't really seem like there was a whole lot of thought or planning or even, even when they finally came up with, you know, some alternative scheduling and stuff, there wasn't really a lot of, well, you know, what if we can't go out of state or anything like that? It just was kind of like, well, We'll, we'll, we'll wait it out and we'll, we'll, hopefully it works out. I'm, I, I have, I have so many, so many questions that I will get to in a second because I got to talk to you about DraftKings. Uh, sports gambling is legal. Nice. <laughs> How do you like that? I, I'm, I am the king of transitions. Um, gambling is legal now in Colorado. Yes. As of May 1st. Uh, and so sports as they are, are happening. And uh, right now we got an MMA event that is uh, next on the calendar. <laughs> it's, it's just, if only you could see Justin right now. Uh, they grow in excitement and anticipation. UFC 252 is no different with uh, two of the sport's most respected fighters stepping into the octagon this weekend. There is no better place to get in all of the action than with DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. For this weekend, uh, this weekend's fight, DraftKings is offering an all new users the opportunity to bet $1 to win $252. See what they did there? Uh, those are some great odds. <laughs> Just is laughing. Uh, download the top rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the code MHS when you sign up. For a limited time, all new users can bet $1 to win $252 this weekend's main event. That's right. DraftKings Sportsbook is going all out for new users. They offer them a chance to win $252 when placing a $1 bet this weekend's, on this weekend's big fight using code, code MHS, which is, of course, Mile High Sports um, MHS. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 and older. Colorado only. Other terms and conditions and restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Ambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 as I fumble my way through another DraftKings read. And I'm sure they listen to this podcast and they're like, what is this rule? What? I thought it was pretty good. It's, <laughs> it's, it's hard to do the last part, especially. I always run out of breath. 
but I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing that I now have the gambling addiction hotline memorized because I've said it so many times. <laughs> I guess, I, I mean, I know that information. So if anybody's ever like, I think I have a problem, 1-800-522-4700. But... <laughs> Well, you're helping people too. So, so if you ever meet someone who has a gambling problem, you can give them that number. It's true. Can I say how frustrating it was though to, um, as a gambler, as a, as a avid user of DraftKings, mm -hmm. it was so frustrating last night when Malone didn't put the starters back in because I had <laughs> uh, Michael Porter Jr. plus 18 and a half and he's sitting there at like 15. Just put him in for two minutes. Like, just let me get those buckets. Come on. <laughs> Uh, there, there was a, there was the over under was 30 or excuse me, 29 for his uh, rebounds and points total. And yesterday I was like, Oh yeah, that's easy money. Take that. I mean, he can do that in his sleep. And then he comes out uh, with five minutes left in the third quarter and never comes back in and go after going six for six. It's shooting like he could have just got 30 points in his sleep. I was just, ah, no, you know, it's a good thing I didn't have any money on that, though. That's what I'm saying here. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I've made money on every single one of his starts so far on his over three point total because it's always at like two and a half, and mm -hmm. he's pretty good for three threes a game. Mm -hmm. There's a hot tip out there if you're listening, MPJ, take his over when it comes to threes. Oh, Unless, yeah. of course, Malone does what he does last night and just decides to punt the game, but. Yeah. He, I, I love him, so I'll, I'll trust in him and whatever, but it's pretty frustrating when you can beat the Lakers and don't. They almost beat the Lakers with the Z squad, though. So, I mean... moral. That, I know there's no moral victories in sports, but that, that kind of was... A, we had Mason Plumley guarding LeBron James, for God's sakes. Yes. Mason, uh, Mate Plumdog and King James was not the matchup I was anticipating on seeing down the stretch last night. Let me just put it to you that way. Um, that was, now that could be a great mixtape though. So if anyone wants to have the plum dog, King James uh, collab, 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 collab. I'm, I am so sorry today. I, I cannot speak. Um, so what were we talking about? Oh, college sports, your forte, your wheelhouse, if you will. Um, I, have been thinking more and more about how these rollouts have been handled. And I'm glad the Mountain West, I mean, I, I'm of two minds here. I'm glad the Mountain West did what they did. I'm glad the Big Ten obviously is doing what they're doing. Um, and I'm thinking that obviously other conferences will follow, except for maybe the SEC, um, which is another subject altogether. But the, I'm glad they're doing it. I'm just like, when will the arrogance kept, uh, catch up with you? And I, and I think the same way about the NFL. Eventually, arrogantly thinking that nothing will happen to you will catch up with you. And I'm wondering if even in the NFL, the next domino to fall, someone's going to get sick, seriously sick. And then they will kind of understand, unfortunately, in that, in that sense, that they can't operate the way they always do. And I'm like I said, I'm glad that they're, they're doing what they're doing right now because that's it's needed. But I wish that they just wouldn't behave so above it all. And I, I guess that's always been my problem with, you know, what apparently is the systemic sport of football. They all kind of operate in this kind of, we we're not affected way. And if they didn't behave that way, 
maybe things would be clearer for people and you wouldn't have idiots like me on my podcast lecturing them about being clear. Football's a tough one in general because the more you're around it, the the more you see the ugly sides of it and the more you experience the the irrationalness of it and you know the sometimes <laughs> just general emotion that trumps logic when it comes to football. Yeah. And that one's hard for me because I grew up, you know, I've, I've always been a big football guy. I've been obsessed with the Broncos my entire life. My family has season tickets. I've always been a big college sports guy. You know, I grew up watching all kinds. I mean, you mentioned not necessarily hating CSU as a CU guy. That's really where I was growing up. You know, I, I rooted for CU pretty every week in the big 12, you know, they were, a lot of fun. I was, I remember being very disappointed in that 05 big 12 championship when, you know, they lost like 70 to three or whatever, wow, Vince God. Young. I mean, to be honest, that's one of the a, greatest college teams of all time. So. That's a bad memory. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure Joel Klatt even remembers it, to be honest with you. <laughs> I'm not sure he does either. And based on some of his, uh, based on some of his tweets lately, I'm, I think he might still be impacted by some of those hits. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk, let's talk about that because uh, that's 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 Colorado sports. That's that Joel Klatt's, uh, uh big big time went to Pomona High School. Uh, Joel Klatt. Um, I'm reading his tweets and I'm wondering if it's just a and maybe we this kind of goes in with what you're talking about with what with just the sport in general. And Danny Cannell also uh, is as another another pro who. Uh, if you're going to follow a former quarterback, Sage Rosenfels is much better than Danny Cannell. Just throwing that out there. Okay. <laughs> yes. Definitely agreed. <laughs> but Joel Klatt, I just, I, I think it's irresponsible to be putting stuff out there uh, like he has been doing the last couple of days. And because you, you're not a doctor <laughs> and assuming a lot of this stuff, it just, I don't think does anyone any good. I really don't. I think that's, you know, the best way to put it. There's, there's always this sense with, with media guys that are former football players that, you know, that kind of, well, we played, we get it more than you, you know, we battled through it. We risked our bodies. You guys just don't understand. And that's, you know, really frustrating, but like you said, more than anything, it's just, it's kind of arrogant to put that type of stuff out there to act like, you know, you know, better than doctors and professionals one of the big things i've been trying to say throughout basically the last five months whenever they started canceling sports was just get comfortable with saying i don't know you know people are coming to me when are they going to start the season i i don't know is it yeah. going to be possible to play i don't know like is when are they going to be going to be able to play again i have no idea i understand why they want to play i mean their livelihood is mixed up in college football as well these guys they live and breathe for the game yep but at some point you just, you kind of have to look around and be like, do we really want to, you like carry the water for the NCAA? Like, what are we doing here? What are we getting out of this? And, and why are we doing it? Well, especially with Danny Cannell suggesting that players need to sign a waiver, basically saying, sure. Yeah, I can, I can play football. And if I get sick and potentially die, you guys are absolved of any sort of responsibility, which is the biggest load of, crap i've ever seen in my life to be uh, to, excuse me the biggest load of bullshit i've ever seen in my life <laughs> yeah you know they're 
I mean, there are actually players that have come forward and even put that idea out themselves, but wow. that's a situation where you have to look at it, you know, as the NCAA or as the higher governing body. And this is what you're seeing presidents doing essentially, you know, kind of saving these players from themselves in this instance, mm-hmm. nobody wants to see a, a fall without college football, especially people like me that, make their living creating content about yeah. college football. It's going to be a really weird fall. I'm going to be doing a lot of historical pieces and all kinds of stuff. It'll, it'll get interesting. It'll test me as a writer. But if, if you're not looking at this situation and seeing everything that's like going on in our country and being like, I don't know how you can't at least understand like where they're coming from. There's just so much uncertainty. I understand yeah. that there's, you know, there's a lot of differing opinions with, COVID-19 and a lot of that's been politicized but when you see the stuff with the potential heart complications and Mm -hmm. brain complications and stuff like that blood clotting blood clotting like I just I think you know university presidents are looking at this and they're just going how the hell do we risk this you know Bamani Jones put on Twitter you know unless these schools can have a really confident response for what they're going to say if a player dies because of this then you can't play. Yep. 100%. And that's the best, uh, that's the best kind of uh, retort that I've heard so far. It's like, if you don't have a response for when you're talking to a grieving family, why blithely uh, into the beach in beach breach. Oh my God. I can't talk today. Um, I, I kind of want to talk, uh, just to get on a lighter subject. I, I kind of want to talk about to you about, the state of CSU um, in general, and we're going to remove the COVID context for a second. Um, the last couple of years have been um, interesting in a sense that there's been a, a de- there was a definite dip after um, uh, what was the previous coach McElwain? Yeah, McElwain and Bobo. Yeah, that's right, the 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 shark guy. Um, <laughs> actually, there's no evidence that was him. I just looked like eerily him. eerily looks like him though <laughs> looked like him um the last McElwain year to into the bobo years uh obviously it hasn't gone the way that things were trending at least midway through the McElwain years how do you think they have uh been able to address some of the issues they have obviously it depends a lot on recruiting uh how do you like the new coach do you think that uh like i said removing the specter of a pandemic so far which is hard how do you think they've been able to address the issues they've had before? And do you think that they've, they can get back on that trajectory they were on about five years ago? CSU is a program from a G5 perspective that I believe should and really has no reasons not to be one of the better, more consistent football teams. You're in a great market. You're really close to Denver. Mm-hmm. You have a phenomenal stadium, you know, at least if you're looking at, you know, the size of its stadiums that seat less than like 45,000, it's probably one of the nicest in the country. You have great facilities. Colorado's a great place. CSU's a really pretty campus. You have all of these things working for you. And then you're losing to like Laramie, Wyoming year in and year out. And that's, what's been so frustrating for all these fans is, they felt like it was a situation where CSU was going to kind of 
rise above the cream of the crop and potentially be, you know, the next TCU or Utah that branches out of the Mountain West and is able yeah. to, you know, get in the P5 and, you know, take all the, the get on par with CU. That's a big part of it that CSU fans don't want to admit. But they just, they kind of stumbled, you know, they failed. They had all these things working for them and they, they didn't win any bowl games. They didn't beat any rivals. They had just so many missed opportunities there were some good moments, you know, they opened the stadium and they kicked the crap out of Oregon state. They beat Arkansas. It was a really terrible Arkansas team. And it, honestly, like Arkansas beat themselves in that game. It was the, some of the dumbest play calling I've ever seen, but <laughs> hey, when you beat an SEC team at home, don't make excuses for them. Yeah. But I just, it's been a situation where they've consistently underperformed. Hopefully this new staff is able to come in. You know, they're definitely not as flashy, they don't have, you know, the SEC background. Adazio worked at Florida, but obviously he was more known for his time at Boston College and Temple. Mm-hmm. So far, you know, I, I kind of like the approach of being like more meat and potatoes, just kind of being gritty, developing talent, having that underdog type mentality. Are they going to be able to like really, you know, sell the, the big time recruits, the, the sexy prospects, if you will? I don't know. I just, I don't know if I get that vibe from them so far. Uh, that's definitely hard. And you're, you're just, just basically what, what you were talking about reminds me of CU. I mean, I think both programs are in interesting places. Um, whether CU fans really want to admit um, the issues, Mel Tucker uh, should have been a cold slap in the face. I really do think so. It was just, if, if you're a CU fan, and, I, and I'm not even saying this to try and be petty or like start shit or anything like that, but it, it should be a cold dose of reality of you are not the program that you were under Bill McCartney. This isn't 1990 anymore, mm-hmm. and this is what major coaches view Colorado as. Yeah. I, I don't want that. As somebody that is a big fan of college football in the state of Colorado, I want it where CSU and CU are perennially top 20 teams. You know, they're, they're able to go out and compete with everybody. But right now we're stepping stones, yep. both of us. And yep. that's, you know, that's how the country views us. Yep. And it's, and it's uh, uh, with CU, they did it to themselves largely. Um, what happened from in 2005 and the self-imposed sanctions uh, and the restrictions that were put on them, um, the program's never been the same. And it's never been the same since Barnett left. Um, and you can uh, basically say the same thing since uh, Lubick left. Uh, well, Lubick, it, it was kind of going down already. And, but with CU, but um, still, I mean, he had that. It was steady, you know. You already, you always knew it's like Sonny Lubick's here. That he's our constant, right? He's our northern star. And uh, CU had that with both, both Bill McCartney and Rick Neuheisel. And... Uh, <laughs> and uh, Gary Barnett. And then once Barnett left, it's just been shit show. And I think a, a lot of CU fans are aware of how unfortunate this, the program has been um, just in general uh, outside of one year when they went to uh, uh, when they when the Pac-12 title game 12 against Washington. Yeah. 2016. Got, yeah. 2016 yeah. and got the shit kicked out of them but 
it was it was still you know, it was a nice moment, and then of course it's been back to where it was before. Um, and you would need to acknowledge that, and a lot of that is some self acknowledgement. And I think the hire of Carl uh, Carl Durrell was a little bit of that. Uh, former CU assistant coach. Um, I think they kind of knew that they needed a guy who had knew the program before, and we'll see where they go from there. Um, CSU, I've always been. Can you explain to me and the the the, the, the current coach? Um, What's his last name? Adazio? Is that, is that his last name? Yeah, Steve Adazio. Yeah, that's right. Oh, yes. I'm hoping I pronounced that correctly. Um, the coaching search was interesting um, for Adazio. Uh, and thank you for joining me. I'll, I'll let you go here in a, a couple of minutes. Um, I, the, 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 the process of him becoming coach, was, it was interesting. Um, do you – just reflecting on how the process of him becoming coach – was do you think the process eventually got itself a, good, a better coach, or do you think that there was something wrong with how CU kind of approached the way they handled that coaching search? There was a lot, a lot of information coming out from inside during that coaching search. I don't necessarily know how accurate all of that information was. Yeah. Um, the the whole process in general was really weird because Urban Meyer was very much wrapped up in it and honestly like essentially picked Steve Adazio as the head coach for CSU football. And nobody can really seem to answer why. And that makes me a little bit nervous, you know. I it's definitely something that I would like to be able to ask, especially the new president, Joyce McConnell, about. It was really early into her presidency at the university. So reaching out for guidance from, from somebody with experience, I think that, necess- that makes a little bit of sense. But it also kind of ties back into what we were talking about earlier with the athletic administration and what kind of trust you have in them, because shouldn't you be trusting your athletic director to make this type of decision? And you know, by going to Urban, he essentially gets to be like, well, you know, we let Urban pick him. It wasn't my fault if anything happens. And it's just weird. You know, I'm, I'm, I just want to know why, you know, why was Urban Meyer so heavily consulted in this search? And CSU fans are like, oh, he loves Fort Collins. It was his favorite spot. You know, he, he really has spoke very highly of Fort Collins a bunch of times. His wife really loves Fort Collins. They come out here quite a bit. Mm-hmm. I buy that, that they like CSU but that's not enough for urban to like actually stick his neck out and, you know, lead this coaching search and waste his own time doing this. Like what did urban Meyer get out of this and why did we want to help him so bad? Yeah, that's an interesting thing. I I was, I was confused by that myself, but it's always great to have a former, you know, assistant coach or someone involved with the organization. Like Carl Durrell, same thing. I was former assistant there. Um, and the, the CU had a bunch of former um, people involved with the uh, the uh, program uh, helping out and giving input, not necessarily leading it. That was Rick George. Um, you would want, I think, your athletic director to be taking that role at least. But I mean, it's, they would, it wouldn't be unknown for a college to hire a consulting firm or a search committee to find them a coach. It's, it's, it's really not unusual at all. Uh, I just, I was like you, I was kind of confused about the, the Urban Meyer thing, but, you know, 
Adazio may be the guy, you know, and, and I guess we won't know over this year, but hopefully he, they did get the right guy. Yeah, you know, and, and honestly, like like you said, there there might have been nothing weird at all going on when it came to Urban Meyer. I just, the, the way that it all happened was very odd. Like, they were really coy about whether they were actually working with him when it was happening. And then once they announced Adazio, then they were like, oh, yeah, we were totally working with Urban the whole time. And it was like, well, why were you so, like, shady about it? <laughs> but it was it was just very weird. Um, you know, I... I will say that Urban Meyer, or, oh my God, I'm getting all confused now. Steve Adazio has a history of coming in and being able to essentially like develop his playbook around the talent that he has. He did pretty well early on at Boston College. In two years at Temple, he was able to win games right away. That's encouraging, especially for a program like CSU, which on paper has quite a bit of talent. I think that's kind of the most frustrating part for Rams fans this year is one, uh, they actually were a better football team than Colorado. Yeah. Colorado was going to have to come into Fort Collins. They lost that. They lost a trip to Nashville. They lost a game against Oregon State. You know, they lost conference trips to Vegas and San Diego. It was just going to be a really fun season with a lot of returning talent. You had an experienced quarterback, one of the best wide receivers, a great tight end. There were just all these things like working for them, and it just all got pulled out from them. And that's what really sucks for CSU fans right now. And I just, I sympathize for them and I feel their pain. I, I, I could tell. I mean, I, uh, Zach Mikash is a big CSU guy. Um, and he, uh, he was very disappointed that the CU game wasn't happening. And I, I feel your pain. I feel your pain. Uh, I, I think after years and years and years of CU bitching about the game being in Denver, uh, it was great to kind of get a stadium worth like finally playing a worthwhile stadium in Fort Collins. I'll be honest with you. And finally getting that on campus thing going. And I actually was kind of looking forward to seeing that because the last time uh, CU played up there, Coy Detmer was the quarterback. Uh, he was throwing to uh, Darren Cheverini, uh, his tight end. So uh, that, that, that tells you how long ago that was. It's been a long time, 96. <laughs> the, only, the only thing CSU fans have going for them right now is CSU won the last two meetings in Boulder. So yes. there, there's at least that going for them. But uh, it should have been even more, and, and that's even more frustrating when you go all the way back to that 2004-2005 games where oh, the, I, uh, I still don't quite understand how CSU lost those football games. Oh, oh the, the Marcus Houston Bowl, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> The, just run or, the ball up the middle, man. Just oh my goodness. Or as uh, or as Eric Bieniemy called him, Marquisha. <laughs> no, that that that's what's that. up with fo- what's <laughs> up with football and having just like the lamest insults possible. Like I don't get it. I, really, I, like we can't do better than that, Marquisha. Like oh, he's a girl. I know, I know. I, I, I and Eric Bien and just throwing this out there. There's a reason Eric Bieniemy is not a head coach. I'm just going to put that out there. There's a reason Eric Bieniemy is not especially a head coach. at a college, and especially at a college. And uh, I think you know he may be a great offensive coordinator for Kansas City Chiefs, but uh, there's a reason Bieniemy is not coaching head coaching football right now. Um, Say so, you know I anyway that's that it, yeah the Marcus Houston that that's in my, it's burned into my brain. It's the Marcus Houston Bowl. I I taped that off of the, t- the television. I, I, I like back when we had tapes. 
And uh, I played that over and over because that ending was wacky as fuck. <laughs> that was when I like very first realized sports are mostly cruel because that was, <laughs> I was like eight, nine years old. So, you know, you're old enough to understand the stakes of the rivalry at that point mm-hmm. and get invested in it. And so I just so badly wanted CSU to win these games and then just to lose in such gut punch fashion as, as a young kid, it's just like, Oh man, sports suck. And they, uh, they haven't been much kinder to me over the last 15 years. I was going to say the last five years as a CSU fan, but at least playing uh, the CU must have been pretty painful. Uh, that's (laughs) dude in 2015, they missed three field goals and lost by three in overtime. (laughs) After they, in 2017, they had three massive plays, two touchdowns taken away on fluky offensive pass interference calls. Oh, I remember everyone on CSU side complaining about the penalties that game. <laughs> that one was so bad that, like, by the third one, even, like, the bolder beat writers are chuckling to themselves because it's just like, <laughs> what is happening at this point? Like, oh, my God. I mean, Mike Bobo, who is generally a pretty mellow guy in his response, was – like pretty heated about the officiating after that game and i remember he he obviously got criticized pretty hard for you know being sour grapes and all that and he he apologized but honestly i appreciated it because it was one of the few times where we just got a really genuine response where he was just like heated because college coaches are just so political most of the time like they, they they'll never come out and say how they actually feel and in that instance we got a little bit of bobo just like saying how it is we also got that a little bit once CSU lost like six or seven in a row because he was pretty much just like, we are a terrible fucking football team. What more do you want me to say? <laughs> oh, I love it when coaches get honest like that. That's, that's the best. Um, I, uh, look, I, CU has been through a lot of these. And, and the last two years, uh, CU beat Nebraska, which is I, – I, You always got that. We always have we always have Nebraska, and I said this on Twitter, and I got a bunch of blowback from CU fans who've only been fans the last ten years. I said, like, look, I don't care about anything else; just beat Nebraska. That's all I care about. I cannot stand seeing red and those fans, and that's what Bill McCartney did. He just made it, you know, so you you made it to where you just hated the Cornhuskers. And then when the then in 1990 when the, they had these signs up that said uh, Sal is dead, go big red. Yeah, yeah. that's that's oh, terrible. So bad. And I I uh, anyway that but that's hopefully and I'm paying, CU fans probably going to give me shit for this, but like hopefully you guys feel that way about CU. Hopefully, because I I because it's like I don't want their that fire to go because we're taking a break from football. And the rival and the and the and the the game is going to be going away for a couple of years. You know? I think if anything, it should you know kind of raise some intensity on both sides. There's with CSU, you know they they feel slighted, and that's always going to you know fuel that that anger, the little brother comments, all that type of stuff. You know, CSU fans can can act like they you know don't care about it, but they really do. And, you know, on the flip side, CU fans, you know, there are plenty of CU fans that are, oh, CSU is not even a rival. It's not even competitive. I can't roll my eyes, you know, in my head far enough at those people either. It's very clearly a rivalry game. You don't get 70,000 plus people in Denver all these years if it's not a rivalry game that people care about. But, you know, with CSU, to an extent, 
I, I would like to see the younger fans kind of bring some of that passion for Wyoming because that's one of the oldest rivalries in all of college football. Yeah. It's got a lot of you know unique stuff mixed up with it. The, the trophy, the, the bronze boot is just kind of a really cool thing. Mm-hmm. I think the conference rivals are, are important. And then, you know, looking at CU, I would like to see CU kind of develop some type of rival, I guess, in the Pac-12. I don't really know who it's going to be. Utah, I guess, makes the most sense geographically, but I think you're just forcing it there. It's just, it's not a rival. Like, Utah's bigger rivals was CSU than CU. And there it's just is, because of the history. history. There's, no, there's no rivalry. There is zero rivalry in the Pac-12 for the Buffs. None. Do you think that CU regrets joining the Pac-12 at all? Because I, I definitely think it's made the product less interesting in terms of, like, there was some some history there, you know, with CU and Nebraska, and I know Nebraska left, but even Texas, Oklahoma, K-State, some of those programs, like, it was the, just more enjoyable for me. The big eight rivals were starting to be uh, pushed aside by Texas. That's a, really what was happening is Texas was taking over the Big 12 and uh, suffocating the league financially. Everything was subjugated to Texas, basically. And... CU had received an invitation in 1994, right after Bill McCartney um, retired, to join the Pac-12. And they declined, but it was close. It was close. People don't understand how close CU came to joining Pac-12 in 1994. And then they got word that the Big 12 was forming. And that became the easier thing to do back in uh, you know, the mid-90s. And the Big 12 became, you know, through the new Heisel years, became a, I think the first year was 96 uh, of the Big 12. And it became a, a, a better league. Texas wasn't great for a while. Nebraska, obviously, was a heavy duty in the late 90s. Just, it was still Nebraska then. And it was, it was a lot better. But when you get to about 2005, 2006, Texas is just choking the life out of it. And I think it was the, the, the departure, and this is just my opinion, the departure had more to do with getting away from Texas. And I think people in Nebraska would say the same thing, getting away from Texas, just completely controlling it. And uh, people don't understand this. The, the reason we don't have a Southwest Conference was because of Texas. Texas did the same thing to the Southwest Conference, just completely sucked the life out of it. And everything just became about Texas. So I think that is more than anything why they don't look back on that with regret right now. On a, on a basketball sense, I think they like the decision a lot. They don't have to play Kansas every year. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> they don't have to play Or Kansas. Baylor. Or ba- yeah, they, they don't have to play them every year. Um, but on a football sense, it's definitely made it worse. And they have no rival. I mean, it's just a very blah, bland conference. And that's one of the reasons really they, they suck. And every time I, I make comments like that, I think CU fans obviously think I'm coming from this, you know, like hateful, resentful CSU perspective. And really it's not. Just like as a college football fan as a whole, as somebody that grew up watching a lot of Colorado games versus these other opponents, mm-hmm. I just think it was more entertaining. I think – you have a lot of people from those states already in Colorado, you know, Kansas, Oklahoma, Nebraska, all of that. And, and obviously there's plenty of California people in Boulder too, but I don't know. I just, it's not as interesting. Well, they did. They, they don't. I used to look forward to Oklahoma and Nebraska every single year. 
because they were the big bad bullies. And the CU came this close to beating, oh, uh, I'm putting my fingers together. This is a, forget this is a podcast. Um, <laughs> uh, they, they, they came this close to beating Oklahoma in 1988. Uh, it was a great game. Sal and Essie was played a great game, but they did barely lost. Um, the year before in 86, they beat Nebraska for the first time in like 20 years. And it was amazing. They tore down the goalposts the first time I'd ever seen that. It was fantastic. I missed that euphoria. There's no euphoria with beating any Pac-12 team. None. Just, you might get it for a USC victory if maybe. that ever happens. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, well, that's a big never time happen, program. apparently. They've never <laughs> beaten them. <laughs> it's, that, that's talk about frustrating. CSU but, fans know how that goes, man. Oh, man. It, it, is, it is so frustrating. Uh, you have a you you are also a uh, Alabama fan. Uh, when, I am. When CU played Alabama and was playing really well, what was it a couple of years ago? Yeah. How were you feeling, Mister Alabama fan? That's what I want to know. Oh, it was just like kind of conflicting because it was just like I mean, it's exciting obviously to see it, but then it's one of those where it's like yeah, but. I don't want like my national championship like run to get wrecked here. <laughs> but I think if it would have actually happened, it would have been, it would have been, you know, really cool. And it would have been a huge upset. I mean, huge. they were the number one team in the country. Yeah. And, and uh, but it, it was such a cool thing to experience though, in person, especially going down to Tuscaloosa and stuff like to, to be, you know, there between CSU, CU, my, alma mater versus you know the powerhouse school and I, a lot of people give me crap for being a bama fan i get it everybody hates bama i would hate bama if i was not an alabama fan but i picked them when i was young and they weren't even i don't even like they weren't even that good when i started rooting for them it was pre-saban oh yeah. yeah and then now they just they dominate and i get it but let's all hate clemson that's what that's what i want to say like let's, let's bring that hate towards clemson Clemson, is that because they uh, beat uh, you guys twice in the championship games recently? Uh, that that might be uh, slightly <laughs> influencing my dislike towards Clemson. I cannot confirm nor deny. Uh, well, they do have a quarterback that looks like a greyhound, so I guess there's that. Um, God, he's so impressive, though, man. Like, that's good. I couldn't even I couldn't even be upset, honestly, just watching him at certain points. I mean, it was just kind of like you just kind of had to. It was like LSU last year. You just kind of had to tip your hat and be like god they're an awesome team yeah and i don't know if joe burrow is going to be the quarterback in the pro level that he is was in college i'm he had one year and i'm like ah those quarterbacks who have one year that's always a risk that is uh uh yeah i was like uh, what was it demarcus russell uh you lsu again I think Burrow has potential to be, you know, a good NFL quarterback, a capable NFL quarterback, but people just got to realize, I mean, they had like four first round capable wide receivers, awesome O-line, two great running backs and all world defense. And on top of that, they had Joe Brady, a really innovative play caller who got hired by the Carolina Panthers. That's a lot of things going right for you. Mm-hmm. And now there's just, you're going to a situation in Cincinnati, which, you know, let's face it, has not been a place historically that likes to protect their quarterbacks very well. No, 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 no. There's going to be some uh, reckoning here. And uh, apparently he has small hands, which was a big deal coming out yeah, of the Tiny hands. <laughs> I get, as a guy with tiny hands, though, I'm kind of rooting for him. See, every time I think of tiny hands, I think of uh, Austin Powers. <laughs> 
And <laughs> tiny, tiny hands smell like cabbage. Uh, anyway, uh, I think that uh, creepy Burger King commercial <laughs> with the Whopper. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's that's so bad. Okay, well we've uh, I've kept you long enough. Thank you so much, uh, Justin, for uh, coming on. The next time I bring you on, we'll probably have just talk no, nothing but nuggets. That'll be amazing, honestly. Like, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna win the championship, so it's gonna be great. Oh yeah, they're gonna bring that finals trophy home. It's gonna be Hopefully. the first ever Nuggets championship, which I will probably cry. I, I'm not gonna lie; I will probably cry and then make a fool of myself. But I I, I have no pride, so I I'm, I'm willing to do this for the public. I'll film Honestly, it. though, that's what that's what makes sports so great. Like, there there should be no shame in that. You should get yeah. so emotional that you cry. That's what, I mean. It's been a, let's face it, it's been a brutal experience as a Nuggets fan most <sighs> of the time. I still think about Anthony Carter. It's eleven years later. I still think <laughs> about that. I don't blame you because I do too. Uh, and I, I'll tell you, I I I just. I was telling, uh, I, I had Steve Gorman on, who was a former drummer of the Black, Black Crows. And I told him, I said, look, your band and the Denver Nuggets have made it so difficult to be a fan. Absolutely trying and difficult to be a fan. And because of that, I am so much more dedicated. And I said, I don't know if that's Stockholm Syndrome or if it's just psychosis. Either way, I'm in. <laughs> I think that really, honestly, and... This is a, since we've been talking about CSU this whole time, that's kind of a perfect comparison with what it's like to be a CSU fan. You know, sometimes people, you know, they'll just ask me straight up, like, why do you care about CSU? You know, like they're so mediocre and that's the thing is it's just like this irrational connection that you establish when you're young and it just sticks with you. Like if, if I could have given up my CSU allegiances, I'd have thrown them out the door like 10 years ago, but now I'm in it. I'm in it for the long haul. We'll see what comes of this whole thing. Whenever they inevitably, whenever they finally get that, you know, one year of success again, it's going to be a a sweet, sweet ride. Yeah. And you got your second team as Alabama in the nineties. I chose my second team as the New York Knicks. So I was, I was uh, like, they had that finals run in 94. They were so close. Should have, should have beat the Rockets in game six. I'd still, I'd still get upset about Hakeem Olajuwon blocking John Stark's shot with the end of his finger, like literally the end of his finger. And I still think about that. In fact, I will watch that occasionally just to understand what a fool I was for adopting the New York Knicks as my second team. Is the, and this is a loaded question, so maybe not something to great to ask right at the end. Is James Dolan the worst owner in all of sports? Yes. Yes. Now that Donald Sterling is gone, yes. <laughs> He's Man, absolutely. It's just like such a bummer that the Knicks, which should be this cornerstone franchise, have just been so like I'm 25 years old. Mm-hmm. The Knicks have essentially been irrelevant for my entire life. This is true. You uh, you uh, you were born in '95, right? So yeah, uh, that was a year after they went to the finals. <laughs> right. <laughs> Man. Yeah, I uh, yeah, and any 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 kid who was born in the '90s really has missed when the Knicks were good. Uh, I didn't see their glory years, obviously. I was born in '78, so I, I'm uh, you know I didn't get get the early '70s stuff. But um, 
yeah, I, I don't know how I did that. I don't know why I did that. There was a, I look back on it thinking, why did I adopt the New York X? Oh, I know why. Because I hate hype. I'm like, a, I'm too much of a Gen Xer. I hate hype. So I rejected the Bulls. They were the popular thing. So I'm like, I'm going to adopt the team that is their rival in the Eastern Conference. Do you regret that at all? Because I, I kind of wonder if the people that hate LeBron so adamantly 15 years ago are going to look back from now and be like, why did I waste my energy not appreciating one of the greatest athletes of all time? Uh, I can tell you, yes, I, I do. I do regret not appreciating Jordan more, especially watching the last dance made me uh, think about some things that I remember vividly. I watched the whole thing and it, it really makes me kind of appreciate things that I took for granted at the time because you think greatness is aided rather than just being great. Right. You think that you think that the greatness comes because people want something to happen rather than acknowledging that sometimes shit is just literally great. And I think now as I'm in my mid forties, I am much more willing to understand that it's not just that it is. Some people are literally just that good. And Michael Jordan, you, you can't say anything but complimentary thing other than the fact that maybe he's not the greatest human in the world. But outside of that, as a basketball player, greatest ever. I'm going to be honest. I, I ignorantly growing up used to kind of dismiss some of the MJ stuff. I mean, I always, you know, knew he was the greatest from watching it. But, you know, I always tried to be like, you know, LeBron's going to be able to surpass him or whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I watched all of, all of The Last Dance. I went back and I, I read the Jordan rules and I read a couple of other books and then I watched a bunch of like famous you know a lot of the utah games and stuff like that and i was just Mm -hmm. like ah i was wrong (laughs) so there you go jordan (laughs) i'm 25 year old admitting it like i i was wrong lebron's my guy forever but that's the whole dude that's the whole reason that documentary came out was to affect people like you that's that's it because from what i understand that uh he decided to do that documentary uh, after LeBron won in 2016. He decide, finally decided to green light that footage of people following him around in 1998 and uh, 97, 98. So he basically was like, I'm going to reclaim my throne. That is entirely what that documentary was about. That's how fucking petty Michael Jordan is. It worked. It worked, it worked. 100%. Because <laughs> I like the whole time I was just like, wow. MJ is so cool. Like we don't have anybody like him right now. <laughs> it's just demands the goat for a reason. He really is. Okay, Justin, I have kept you far longer than I uh, that, than you probably wanted to be on here. I do appreciate you coming on with me on your first ever uh, CSG. Uh, how was your experience? This was awesome, man. This was a lot more fun than any of the work that I was about to do, which was a bunch of like research and marking stats in a spreadsheet so <laughs> i'm i'm all for being on the csg anytime you want me to come on i'm, I'm right, down man. to come shoot the shit all right i appreciate it very much thank you for coming on man absolutely